If you turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, we'll pick up in verse 18. And I, I've been so blessed as we go through the scriptures to always land on a passage that's very easily tied into our communion service. And maybe none is better than the one that we find ourselves uh, in front of today. Because it matters what you believe. It matters what you believe. And that's going to be very, very, very easy to discern in the plain reading of the passage that's before us. Many people today believe existentially through their own personal sincerity that it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. That in fact all roads lead to heaven. Your Bible clearly states that that's not true. That there is only one name under heaven whereby all men, every human being, if they desire to have a right relationship with God, the only way to do that is by believing on the only begotten Son of God because he alone paid the price for our sin. He alone has paved the way to heaven with his own blood. Most of the world doesn't believe that. And a vast majority of people just simply believe that you can kind of make up your own road to God. And those roads are many, varied, and they're broad. But narrow is the way that leads unto salvation. There is one way, one truth, one life. There's one Savior, his name is Jesus. And so we're going to look at a fairly large passage of Scripture today, verses 18 to 29, and we'll answer some of these questions by simply studying the Word of God. Would you join me and we'll pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, I thank you that you've made it so simple. A child can believe on your name, Jesus, and be saved. Lord, someone with very little understanding can believe that you died on Calvary's cross, rose from the grave, being raised three days later, and that by believing in your name, we can have forgiveness of sin and our eternity secured in heaven. And so we pray that you'd speak to us through your word. Would you lead us? by the power of your word speaking into our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you join me at verse 18 here in 1 John chapter 2? Little children, it is the last hour. That's an odd statement considering that was 2,000 years ago, amen? So the average person looks at that and goes, wow, there's a contradiction right there in the Bible. John said it was the last hour. What was he referring to? He was referring to mankind's time here on earth relative to eternity, relative to heaven, relative to where the world remains today, only it has gotten steadily worse as we've traveled through the last couple of thousand years. He's not talking about the last day as in time, but as in the world system and where it is today. Where it was then, it would not be very long that Nero would persecute the church. 
followed by successive dictators, moving all the way through generations of time to this present day, the only difference between John's day and today is that we were a lot closer to the very end than he was. We are at the end of the age of grace. Jesus is coming soon, Maranatha. And it's going to be sooner than it was in John's time. As you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. You'll notice a capital. If you have a New King James Bible there, that the Antichrist there is capitalized. That would be the person. But now even many Antichrists have come. You know some of them. Nero would be one. Hitler would be another. Pol Pot, Stalin. People willing to destroy other people's lives for the sake of their own agenda. Those who are anti-God. That spirit has existed in the world since the Garden of Eden. Little Antichrist speaking to Eve in the garden, says, Hath God surely said? Questioning God's authority, questioning God's integrity, questioning God's goodness, questioning whether God actually loves us or not. That spirit is very much alive in this world. And there is a person coming who will absolutely bring all of that to a conclusion known as the Antichrist. We'll look at both of these situations in a moment. By which we know that it is the last hour. That's actually how we know things are not better today. They are actually worse today than they were in John's time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, They would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth. You see, the truth is there is real truth. We live in the Google age, amen? People say, well, it's got to be true. It was on Wikipedia. You Google truth, you're going to find some weird things. Google Savior, you're going to find some really weird things. Can I tell you that when you Google Jesus, you'll even find some strange things about Jesus. But your Bible declares a very real Jesus who very really is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And no one can come to the Father without him. So truth is in view. Biblical truth. Because you know it. And that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? Seems like a yucky question, doesn't it? Very biblical word, yucky, by the way. But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. You see, sometimes people will say, well, you know, this whole biblical Christianity thing, this whole Jesus thing, you you evangelical Christians, you take that way too far. I want to tell you, 
the Bible is very serious about the role of Jesus Christ in salvation. And it says very plainly here, who is a liar? Who is a liar? Well, we know that the devil originated it, John eight forty four. amen? He's the father of all lies. Who is a liar? He that denies Jesus as the Christ. Now, I'm going to say something to you, and I want you to use the context of that verse very plainly stating, stating who is a liar. Who is someone who does not know the truth? Someone who denies that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Can I tell you, Islam then is a lie. Because Jesus is not God's own son. Jesus is merely a prophet. He is not the Christ. He is not the anointed one. Can I tell you, Hinduism teaches the same thing. Buddhism teaches the same thing, that Jesus not only is not the only way, he simply is a prophet, a good man, a good teacher. Who is a liar? He who teaches that Jesus is not the singular one and only Christ. So, do all roads lead to heaven? Is every way the way? Track with me. He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. And whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. This is one of the most pointed passages in the entirety of the Bible with regard to salvation. And that is very appropriate because we're about to celebrate the one true king. The one savior. The one who died in my place. The one who paid the price for my sin. The one who gave his life for me, a ransom. Who is providing salvation to anyone who will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. But to answer that question, there is no other road. Matter of fact, most world religions and all cults actually don't teach a fullness of soteriology or the doctrine of salvation. They provide a way that you can kind of work it out on your own. Can I tell you that Jesus already worked it out for you? He died in your place on Calvary's cross. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And simply believing that that is true is what gains you entrance into the kingdom. It's not works. It is by faith. It is resulting in the grace of God. And the grace of God is able to save you. Unmerited favor. Now again, I'd write the Bible. We can talk about what it says, but it's really plain what it says. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. Guess what that does to a Jehovah's Witness theology? If Jesus isn't God, then you can't know the Father. So trying to get to Yahweh without Jesus becomes what? An impossibility. You can't do it. To know the Father is to know the Son. To know the Son is to know the Father. They're a package deal. Without Jesus, no one sees heaven.
He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Huge defining truth. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, dwells in you, resides in you, sets up home in you, it is your reality. You will also abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he promised us. Knowing Christ the Son gives you a right relationship with God the Father and it results, notice it, in eternal life. That is as pointed a message as the Bible contains about salvation. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. If you didn't get it, here it comes. If you think the cross of Christ is just one of the many ways, this passage is for you. John writes, because people were being deceived about there being another Christ. But he says at the same time, there is one real Antichrist, the actual person coming, and there is the spirit of the Antichrist already in the world attempting to deceive. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. You do not need anyone to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit in you. As a believer in Christ Jesus as Lord, the Holy Spirit resides within you. You have a built-in GPS for all things God and godly. But as that same anointed teaches you concerning all three things, and is true, it's not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. In other words, you cannot take your doctrine and then say, well, I'm going to live my life differently. Your doctrine and your duty have to go together. However imperfectly that works out in your life, that if you are a believer in Christ Jesus as Lord, then you are going to live a Bible life that testifies of that truth. Your life is going to have godliness attached to it because you'll have a desire for all things godly. You're going to know that he is holy. You've been called to be holy as he is holy. It's going to translate from your principles into your practice. And now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Or if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. The proof, brothers and sisters, is in the pudding. That doesn't mean you're saved by doing good deeds. It means that if you are saved, read James chapter 2. It's very clear. That we show that we're actually God's kids by the way we live our lives. There is a place for practical righteousness in the life of a believer. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect instantaneously. You, you didn't get a magic Holy Spirit snap of the fingers and all of a sudden you'll never sin again. But you care so deeply about the things of God that the word of God has an effect in your life so that when you hear what the Bible says about anything, that's your opinion. That's the direction you go. You see, what you believe really does matter. John's made these contrasts between light and darkness and love and hatred, and now it's going to be between truth and error. Because there is a truth. Can I tell you, we live in a world that the thing that matters to most people is just simple sincerity. It's as long as you sincerely believe something, that's good enough. Your Bible does not teach that you are saved 
by your sincerity. Yes, you have to believe a certain thing, but you are saved by believing in the only begotten Son of God. It's not just simply deeply held beliefs that you hang on to really tightly, though that is part of the the equation. You are believing in exactly one person who happens to also be God, who was born of a Virgin Mary, who lived for 32 and a half years on this earth, was brought to trial at the will of the Jewish religious leadership to the Romans. He died on Calvary's cross, was buried in the grave, was raised three days later, and believing in him will give you eternal life. Sacrificed in your place. It's not just sincerely believing religion. Now, I can tell you, if you're here and you're in the nursing profession, please do not, you know, don't shame me here. You all do a wonderful work. But if you're in the hospital and there's a medication subscribed and, and there's that prescription and it's on the tray and you mix up the, the bottles on the tray and you give someone the wrong medication and it kills them, it does not matter how sincerely you wanted to help them. It matters what you did. Amen? The person is still dead, even though you were sincere in wanting to give them the right medication, you in fact gave them the wrong medication. Religion is like that. Oh, I want to reach God, I want to do the right thing, but without Jesus, it remains simply the wrong prescription. You can want to go to Paris. But if you get on a plane that's destined for Auckland, Australia, and you hop on that plane, no matter how much you want it to go to Paris, it's still going to Auckland. Excuse me, New Zealand. Wrong, wrong place. You get the picture. Sincerity is necessary only in sincerely believing the truth. You can very sincerely believe lies as well, can't you? We call them urban legends, don't we? You have people that, you know, honestly believe we did not land on the moon. You have people believing that still to this day that the world is flat. Even though we have a space station that orbits the earth every 24 hours. And as a view of the entire Earth's service, even though we have geosynchronous satellites that can map out the entire, we still have people that believe it's flat. They're just sincerely wrong, are they not? Can I tell you that nothing in your entire life is more important than getting the one truth that Jesus Christ is the only way, truth, and life? Nothing. Nothing. That one truth settles your eternity. You see, it is between truth and error. The Antichrist, the spirit of it, doesn't want you to know the truth. And because of where we live on the eternal timeline, because we are at that place in human history to where it's beginning to ramp up, to where the Lord could rapture his church and take us home, 
there is no time to waste in making the decision to not believe the spirit that opposes and denies Christ. Same spirit in the garden, same spirit in Nero, same spirit in Hitler. That that evil spirit, if you will, that has always been opposed to God, opposed to you being saved, opposed to you coming into a right relationship with God. And there are people who will put forth that false narrative. That spirit is in them. And so your Bible says here in John chapter 2 that anyone who does not believe that Jesus is the Christ is a liar. So if he's only one of God's many sons, what is that? That's a lie. That would be the Jesus of Mormonism. If he believes that he's only a prophet, that would also be a lie. That would be Islam. Do you see how important it is? There are billions of people on this planet believing the lies of the wicked one. All roads lead to heaven. Just got to be sincere. Family of God. There is coming in the very last days a very real person who is going to put forth the absolute biggest lie ever perpetrated on humanity. He's called the Antichrist. Because here's what's going to happen. And I want to show you how easy it is to convince people to believe a lie. Can you imagine if a world ruler came on the scene and was able to bring peace to the entire world? How popular do you think that person would be? Then imagine that that person is able to formulate a peace treaty and make it come to pass between the Arab world and Israel. You think it'd be pretty popular? Wait until the next thing happens. Now he says, you know what the world really needs is a world ruler. Because we've been so messed up for so long, and obviously, look what I've done. Why don't you let me be the ruler? He says, you know what? The whole world is kind of messed up economically, so let's have a one-world monetary system. And oh, by the way, you know what? Religion's the problem. Let's all believe the same thing. One world government, one world monetary system, one world religion, and for three and a half years, peace in the entire world. The deception that John's talking about is so deep that when the end actually comes, people are going to deny Christ and they're going to believe the Antichrist. Why? Because of practical things. Peace, money, power. That spirit's in the world today. And it's a lie. It's a lie. It opposes Jesus. And so John gives us some things to not believe. Some ways to not go. You see, when you think about it, notice what it says in verses 18 to 19. If they'd been with us, they would have stayed with us. The church is meant to be an organism. It's meant to be a group effort. It's meant to be all of us following Jesus. 
It's meant to be we believe the same basic thing, which is Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The word of God is true, and we do the best that we can to live our lives according to what we find in our Bibles. In that case, where do we hear that truth? Most of the time, that place is called church. And so John says, look, there are people that decided to make up their own truth, so they left. You know, when you tell people that Jesus is the only way, can I tell you, even some Christians get upset by that. Well, it's just so narrow, so exclusive. Yeah, but let me give you the good part. It's free. It is narrow. It is exclusive. There is only one way. There's only one name. And he will take anyone who will believe in his name. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you're doing. If you will turn and invite Christ into your life, you will be saved. That's the good news. It's what the word gospel means. It means good news. That's good news, amen? It's not bad news. The bad news is there's a bunch of people lying to us. Trying to convince us that everybody who believes anything sincerely is fine with God. We know the truth. Only the truth can set you free. Lies cannot set you free. They can bind you and they can blind you. So any version, verses 20 to 25, of Jesus will not actually do. That's why the Mormon version of Jesus, that he's one of God's many sons. Your Bible says God has exactly one son. Your Bible says that one son, the sinless lamb of God, went to Calvary's cross and died in your place. Your Bible says that he is the way and the truth of life. He is the only name under heaven whereby men must be saved. So if God has other sons, we're all in trouble. And if God's other sons happen to be Lucifer, we're really in trouble. If Jesus is just a prophet, we're in trouble. If Jesus is one of the many 2,000 plus gods of Hinduism, we're in trouble. If Jesus is the spirit of Mother Earth, we're really in trouble. If Jesus is not only not a son of God and the only son, but he's part of every creature on the face of the earth, we're in trouble. Jesus Christ alone died on Calvary's cross for your sins. And without him, no one sees heaven. You see, some people just say, well, if you just belong to the right group, you'll be okay. You were sent to some kind of church creed. You just believe a certain set of things that other people also believe. I have people that come to me, well, you know, I know I'm saved because I'm a Calvinist. Or I know I'm saved because I follow the teachings of, of Jacob Arminius. Or I know the Nicene Creed. Or I studied Augustine. Or I, I've gone through the Westminster Catechism. Or I was confirmed or I was baptized or some other thing. And all of those things are not inherently evil, but there is only one name under heaven whereby men must be saved. Knowing a creed doesn't do that. It might even have the right information in it. Have you believed it? Have you believed on the only begotten Son of God? 
Have you invited Christ into your life? That's the question. You see, Jesus actually talked to the Pharisees who knew everything about God that could be known at that point in time. And he says, you search the scriptures for you think that in them you have life. They speak of me. He said, look, what you've been looking for is me. The only name that can save is Jesus' name. I'm going to invite the communion team to begin to pass out the elements of communion at this time. And you're going to receive first the bread followed by the cup. And I would ask you to please hang on to both and we'll partake together at the end. But you see, many people believe in a counterfeit Jesus. That Jesus is not only not God, he might be a really good glorified person. He might be the embodiment of understanding God. He might be a prophet. He might be one who speaks for God. He might be one of many ways that lead to heaven. But John says, look, if you don't know Jesus, the Son, you can't know the Father. If you've not believed in him, you're not a child of God. You can't go direct. Very often I'll talk to Jehovah's Witnesses and they'll go, well, you know, we just believe that, that Jesus was an embodiment and he, he, you know, he, he's a good guy and it, it's wonderful and, you know, we're not trying to do away with Jesus. But the word Trinity is not found in the Bible and they get hung up on this issue of the word Trinity. God in three persons. I said, you know where that comes from, Right? Jesus. Jesus is the one that said, I and my Father are one. Not one number. One in totality and essence. They're both God. So if you don't believe that, you think you can go straight to Jehovah, which actually doesn't even exist. The word is a transliterative word that tries to explain who Yahweh is, you're in trouble. You see, that's the lies of the enemy. The enemy tries to make all roads lead to heaven. And all roads don't lead to heaven. There's only one road that leads to heaven. And the way you know that is by believing and knowing your Bible. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God. Every bit of God's word was written for your instruction in righteousness, your understanding, in other words, of all things godliness. The Bible was written for you, but not all of it's written to you. You see, you can look at the things in the Old Testament written to the Jewish people, and you go, well, I need to keep the law. The Apostle Paul said, for by the works of the law is no one justified. You can't work your way to heaven. So if you're here today and you think that you can work out your own salvation some other way, you can just be good enough, let me just tell you straight up, you're going to fail. Because you can't be good enough. You're incapable of being good enough to be equivalent to the Holy One of the heavens. You'll never get there. 
And it won't matter if you're short by a little bit or by light years. It will only matter that you're not good enough. And so Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, if you will believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Do you realize how simple that is in John's gospel in chapter 3? If you will believe in me, not if you'll become a theologian, not if you'll join church membership, not if you'll give away all your possessions. Jesus said, if you will believe in me, you'll be saved. That's why that word is emphasized. What you believe matters. It matters. False teachers, and it doesn't matter which one that you teach. It doesn't matter which one that you pick, in other words. It doesn't matter which teaching it is. You look at the, for instance, the Seventh-day Adventists who will you know, continually say, well, you have to keep the Sabbath. You've got to keep the Sabbath. The Bible actually settles that question. And that, by the way, is Exodus. It's not Ezekiel. The Jewish people were spoken to by God personally. He said, look, this is a perpetual covenant between me and you. The keeping of the Sabbath was designed for the Jewish people. It wasn't even designed for the church. And the reason we know that is Jesus broke the Sabbath. The disciples broke the Sabbath. Jesus was actually arrested for blasphemy, partially because he broke the Sabbath. So if we're supposed to be like Christ, think of this, he's our model and our goal, then we're supposed to be breaking the Sabbath. And so Paul settled that for us. He says, you know what? I worship with every day alike. So here in this church, we just worship on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Makes everybody happy. Amen? The Bible settles it. You see, so these simple things where people come and try and put a weight and a burden on you, they were resolved at the cross. They're a function of your grace in which you now walk. And and so when people come and try and steal that joy away and say, you need to do this. Jesus didn't preach that message. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Jesus said, and believing in me, you will then walk with me. And so you begin that journey of sanctification. And of course, we need to do the best that we possibly can to act like Jesus. But you're not saved by acting like Jesus. You're saved because the grace of God has been imparted to your life because you believed in the only begotten Son. And what you believe you'll do, you'll begin to act out that belief. That's why it's so important that we are doers of the word, not just hearers. Because when you start to do what God's word says, you know that the word of God is in you. You know that you have a relationship. You have assurance that you actually are a child of God. doesn't mean you're saved because you do those things. It means because you are saved, your life has actually changed. It's different. That happened because of the cross. 
That happened because Christ died in our place. That happened because the sins of the world were heaped on Jesus. Because he did for us what we could not and still cannot do for ourselves. I can't save myself. I could never save myself. I can't be good enough. And so Jesus in Matthew's gospel in chapter 7 makes it simple for us. He said, look, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of the Father, which is in heaven. That person, when your will starts to match up with God's will, when you understand that you are a child of God, your life becomes different. That's why when someone says, well, you know, I just want the grace. I really don't want to do what God says to do. You have to wonder whether you have the grace or not. You should be looking at your life going, man, if I'm not, if I have no desire for the things of God, have I believed in the real Jesus? Because he's God and he's holy. You see, truth and error can't coexist together. And so he says, At the end of this, the grace of the cross effectively will also change your life. The grace of forgiveness will change your life. The mercy of the Lord will change your life. His goodness will translate into your goodness. Isn't that crazy? God's good to you we attempt to be good back to God. We have to remember who we are in Christ. So if you would take the bread, Jesus said it this way. He took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you And as often as you eat of it, do so in remembrance of me. What was that me? If he was broken, so you don't have to be broken. He was beaten, so you won't be beaten. He took the wrath of God, so you won't experience the wrath of God. His body was broken For you, remember him. Amen? Let's remember Jesus. Communion is a two-part celebration. Jesus took our punishment. By his stripes, we are healed. Isn't that amazing? But it was very costly. It cost Jesus his life. His life, blood. And so after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, now let me remind you of something. This cup is the cup of the new covenant. In my blood... 
shed for the remission of your sin. You see, if he had just died, if he had just been beaten, as wonderful as that was, it would have still left us with a functional problem. Because you have a debt that you owe God. That debt is the debt of your sin. And while you won't have to die for your own sin, you still have to have the debt of your sin erased. And so Jesus said this cup is the cup of the new covenant. As often as you drink from it, do so in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Would you stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we believe. We are actually persuaded, Lord, that you are able to keep us. We've committed our way to you and you will keep us that saving grace, that gift will translate all the way through our lives in sanctifying grace and redeeming grace and justifying grace and ultimately even glorifying grace, Lord. You called us into the beloved. You paid the price for our sin at the cross. And we remember what it cost. We thank you, Lord, for your broken body. We thank you for your shed blood. Lord, you died in our place. You defeated sin and you defeated death. And you wiped the slate clean so that one day we can go home to heaven. We honor you, Jesus. It's in your wonderful name we ask and pray and say thanks. Amen.